Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Jump up on your feet, even if you're in Guyana, even if you're sitting in your room, even if you're on a couch right now, even if there's no one to pressure you into it, go ahead and pressure yourself. 2 Chronicles 26. And I'm about to read you guys one of the, probably one of the three most influential chapters of all of Scripture for me, for me personally. It's, it's a potent chapter, it's a heavy chapter, it's a somber chapter. We're starting a series called Silent Killers. And I could not feel more sober about this subject matter today than I do. 2 Chronicles chapter 26, starting in verse 3, it says, Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jecolia of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now let me just paint you the picture, because the reality is that the king's had been a mixed bag. In fact, it wouldn't be accurate to say they were sort of 50-50. They weren't 50-50. The kings of Israel were mostly bad. They were majority bad. In fact, there'd be a good king, and here's how it worked. And I'm sure we can relate to this. When you had a good king, you had a good life. When you had a good king, you had good rules. When you had a good king, you had, there was justice and equity, and there was fairness, and there was opportunity. And when there was a bad king, things went really, really poorly. God had promised this, and God had predicted this, and so you would find that there'd be a good king, and then there'd be a bad king, and another bad king, and another bad king, and and then a good king. Some of the kings ruled for a matter of months. Some of them ruled for a matter of years. This guy ruled for 52 years. In fact, he was one of the most prolific kings in Israel's history. It'd be the the equivalent of something like, we're about to find out, the cross between a president, a prime minister, an inventor, a uh, uh, commander-in-chief, a billionaire, a Bill Gates, a, a CEO of an Apple, or something like that. And it said in verse 4, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now that was always the tagline because most of the kings did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. This guy did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, I want to make sure all of us understand, it actually doesn't matter what my Congress says. If God is against something and my Congress is for something, what matters is what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Can I get an Amen. I, I get it, we're in a culture where think, we're, we're judging things based on what kind of reception it gets on social media. I need you to understand, even if all of social media is going crazy on what you say, if God gives it a thumbs down, I don't care how many thumbs up you get. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. It's the greatest, it is the greatest description of someone's life. Oh, that we would do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. That's what Martin Luther King would say justice is. It's, it's when a, a law on earth squares with the law of heaven. That's, that's real justice, not fake justice, not faux justice. That's the real thing. It says, he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. If you're interested, this is my theme verse in life. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Got a lot of college students here. I want you to know that as long as you seek the Lord, God is going to make you prosper. You might have a final on Monday, and you're like, I don't have time to seek the Lord. I promise you, you are better off taking time to seek the Lord. And God, it's amazing what God will do with time. When you give God some of your first and best, God makes the rest of your time even go better. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. I want to say to you businessmen that as long as you seek the Lord, God's going to make you, you're going to get ideas. You're going to see things. I do not seek, we are not to seek God for prosperity, but it is a law that those who seek the Lord, they are never disappointed. Verse 6, and he went out and he made war against the Philistines and he broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna, the wall of Ashdod. In other words, uh, barriers and strongholds that had previously been 
unable to be penetrated. We're being, this guy's doing what no one before him could do. Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines, God, and here's a key word, helped him. If this was Sesame Street, I think today I would be saying that today's sermon is brought to you by the word, just had to do that, helped. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal and against the Munites and the Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt for he became very strong. Everyone say fuerte. How do you say strong in Creole? Anybody know? Foie? Did I say it right? F-O-R? T, four. Okay. With an O. <laughs> Moreover, Uzziah, he built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and the valley gate and the angle, and he fortified them, and he built towers in the wilderness, and he cut out many cisterns, for he had large herds, both in the Shephela and the plain, and the, he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war in divisions according to the numbers and the muster made by Jael, the secretary, and, and Messiah, the officer, and under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders, the whole number of heads of the fathers' houses of mighty men of valor was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 who could make war with mighty power and to help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared for all the armies, shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, stones for slinging. In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped. Oh, my prayer for us is that we would be marvelously helped. Some of you know you need help. I'm hoping to convince all of us that we need help. He was marvelously helped, comma, till he was strong. You know, it's such a strange thing that the, the very thing that gets you strong is the very thing that can bring you down. And we see in verse 16, and here is the crux of the message today. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord. Pray with me, God. Help. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Look at someone and say, Help. Say, Ayúdame. We're talking about silent killers, and we've heard the silent killers of, of our lives. We've heard of diabetes. We've we, we know that cancer sneaks up on people, that they have it and they do not know it. It's, it's silent. It's killing them and ravishing their body unbeknownst to them. We know that there are killers that are silent. There are things like asbestos. Someone's living in a building or going to a building that's full of a poison and a toxin that is ruining their life. And they do not know it because it's a silent killer. It's not announcing it. There's uh, radon tests that people do because we're not sure what, you know, what's going on when you buy a house or you're going into a building. These are, these are silent killers. And yet the, the scriptures tell us that there is one killer that's the greatest of all the silent killers. C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, there is one vice of which no man in the world is free, 
which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people, except Christians, ever imagine that they're guilty of themselves. I've heard people admit that they're bad-tempered or that they cannot keep their heads about girls or drink or even that they are cowards. I don't think I've ever heard anyone who is not a Christian accuse himself of this vice. And at the same time, I have very seldom met anyone who was not a Christian who showed the slightest mercy to it in others. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I'm talking about is pride. And the opposite, the the virtue opposite in Christian morals is called humility. According to Christianity, the utmost evil, the essential vice is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. I want to go right at this subject of pride today and this silent killer of pride, and I want to talk about the nature of pride. I want to talk about the, the end of pride or the outcome or the wages of pride, and I want to talk about the antidote to pride. The nature of pride is deception. It sneaks up on you. The, the nature of pride is, is like bad breath. Pride is like bad breath. Other people know you have it before you do. Pride is, it's strange. It's like several years ago I was on Twitter and I saw someone tweet something and they were quoting me. And it was someone more famous than me, way more famous than me. And kind of like a, I'm a nobody. They were like a somebody. And, and I, and, but I was like, wait, wait, that was me. Like, that was my thing. Like, we had had a little interaction. They quoted me. And I'm like, That's my, that, was, that, was my, that was my 140 characters. Like, that was my idea. Those are my syllables. Those are, those are my thoughts and ideas. And I was like, man, he, he stole that. He deboed that. He, he yanked that. He, he did. I'm like, man, like, I was the author of that idea. When you start and you're 16 years old, I think when you're 16 and you're the king, you know that you need help. It's interesting that word keeps popping up in this chapter. When you're, when you're 16, you, you know you need help. The problem with life is that when you humble yourself before God, there is a law that Jesus said that those who humble themselves will be exalted and those who exalt themselves will be humbled. The, it is a law, though, that when you humble yourself, God exalts you. It says that Uzziah was 16, and he's got this guy in his life named Zechariah, and Zechariah was like this leader, this priest kind of guy that, that instructed him in the fear of the Lord. That means he discipled him. By the way, you need people to disciple you. If all you do is come to church on a Sunday morning, it will never be enough. You're going to be an ill-formed Christian. You're going to be like one of these people that grows up near a toxic waste dump where you're going you're, you're gonna, to you're gonna have some strange aberrations of your faith. God made us to need large groups like this and small groups like micro. You need macro church. You need micro church. You need Zacharias in your life that instruct you in the fear of the Lord. 
And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. And he did. Starting at 16, he, he, he made choices that, that turned gold. He made investments that it was like, you know, someone getting Bitcoin when it was at whatever it is. And at whatever it is now. And, and, and like, oh, they made a billion dollars on Bitcoin. Or they made a ton of money on, on some of Like everything he invested and turned to gold. And the things that he touched, they, they turned to silver. And, and everywhere he went, it was like the, the soil. I mean, he made crops grow. And, and inventions, and we know from history and Josephus and others that in, in, in Israel's history that this guy Uzziah was a phenomenon. I mean, he was, he was a phenom. This guy was a prodigy. This guy was incredible, and he just grew, and he grew, and, and, and the kingdom spread, and there was peace, and there was joy, and there was justice, and there was goodness, and there were things, and everything he did was great. The problem with pride is that it sneaks up on you because when you're 16 years old, you know you need what? Everyone say help. When you're 16, but, but when you're 26 or 36 or 46 or 56 or 66, you start to forget that you need help. So back to my tweet. I, I, I'm the author of this tweet. Uh, that week that I got a little attitude with this guy. I, I was reading C.S. Lewis, interestingly, and I was reading a C.S. Lewis book, and it wasn't the same quote, but it was a very similar idea, and I realized that my brilliant idea was actually a derivative of something that C.S. Lewis said. To which I sat there, I'm like, man, God, look, look at me. Is, what's wrong with me? In, in other words, I assumed I was the author but C.S. Lewis probably was. And the problem with life is that when you start to succeed, you start to assume that you are the author. When you have success, it's because you are smart. Or when you get some good results, it's because you worked hard. And dang it, I doesn't mean I worked hard. And so what happens is when things go well, it's, it's very difficult when things go well to, to not begin to say, well, well, I am the author of my salvation or of my life, or I am the captain of my salvation. I am the determiner of where I shall go. And, 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 and don't get me wrong, friends, there is a need to preach the message of be diligent, but the problem with, a, a, the problem with pride is that it turns life into wages, and you start to look at life, and when life goes well, well, you deserve it because you work for it. And when it doesn't go well, well, maybe it didn't go well, but I'm entitled to it because, after all, this is who I am. And it turns life into a wage where you should be getting your wages. And what pride does is it squeezes the oxygen out of the air because you start to forget that even if you made a bunch of money because you stewarded your talents well, who gave you your talents? Or if you start to have great measures of success because you use your brain, who gave you your brain? Or if you're so brilliant that you came up with an invention that you can create life from dirt, who gave you the dirt? If you're like, Mike, I, I didn't do anything. Oh, I, I just got up in the morning and started thinking and I came up with all my stuff on my own. Whose oxygen were you breathing when you were thinking? In 1 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul said, 
What do you have that you did not receive? Friends, please don't miss this. What do you have that you didn't receive? See, when, it, when, it, when, I, when I hear people start saying, well, I deserve, let me, I'll finish the sentence for me. I deserve hell. Because I've been unkind and unloving. I've been, I, I've been mischievous. I've been dishonest. I have been, I, I've been a thief. I've been an adulterer. I've been a jerk. I've been hateful. I've been a racist. I've been a sexist. And all of those seeds are in me. Unless God gifts me with his grace to be something different. What do you have that you didn't receive? Because what happens when you're, when you're Uzziah and you get into your like 50s or you get into your 60s or maybe it was in his 40s. I'm not sure when it happened. But, but when, you, when you get to that place, there is this... There's this danger. There's a book that's called Rookie Smarts. And, and the idea behind the book is that rookies actually have a wisdom or an intelligence that veterans don't have. The idea is that when you're a rookie, you're fresh in the league, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Man, I, I don't know. And I don't know what I don't know. And I know that I don't know. So I'm just going to go around and ask people, what do you know? And what do you know? And so rookies, they ask questions. And rookies, they listen. And rookies, they're, they're thirsty. And rookies are curious. And, and rookies, they're still teachable. What happens when you get good is that you stop being te- You're like, oh, man, I got that. This past week, I was in... I was in Seattle for a meeting with some church movement leaders, and, and we were actually, like, there's a, there's a podcast right now talking about the rise and fall of, of some mega ministries, and, uh, and we were, ironically, we were meeting in the building of the church that had fallen, of the church that's been devastated and, and destroyed. It's a different church name now. I'm not going to get into the details, but we, we were there. But uh, one of the interesting insights, because so I was with the guy that took over for the guy that sort of rose and fell. And, and you talk about, you know, people talk about church hurt. Oh, you, if, if you could have heard all the church hurt uh, <laughs> stories we were swapping in that room, the, you know, this week. And, and all the craziness and all the, the I mean, man, <laughs> humans in general and, and we Christians. By the way, if you uh, if you do not come to church or follow Jesus because you would say, I think Christians are a bunch of hypocrites, I would 100% agree with you. By the way, I would still invite you to church. In fact, I would encourage you to come because you need a place to feel at home because you're a hypocrite too. So I just want just to be clear, just to level the playing field, all right? Um, I have not met yet a human that's not a hypocrite, but we Christians are not exempt. By the way, that's not evidence against Jesus. If anything, I think it's evidence for him because the very fact that a lot of us are such abject failures is one of the evidences that we need a Savior. We know we need help. I do. But I'm at this, I'm at this meeting, and one of the, part of the downfall when I'm hearing some of the stories, you know, one of the downfalls that sort of got brought up in one of the podcasts was uh, when one of the guys was, was going somewhere and people had concerns for him, like, hey, why don't you go listen to these, there's some elder statesmen in the, in the church world. Why don't you go talk to this guy? He's like, a, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 years ahead of you or talk to this guy. And his statement was, I can't go talk to them because I can't learn anything from someone that has a church that's smaller than mine. 
Now, I'm not, I, I truly am not saying this to, to throw stones, because by the way, I've even talked to some of us in our church that are like, oh, I'm really into this podcast, and oh, I, I can't wait to, oh my gosh, like I live for the next podcast. There's something wrong about listening to a podcast that's um, throwing stones at someone that was doing podcasts and getting online and all that, and, and you know, uh, kind of pushing the, the, their brand, and like this is like a whole new brand right now. Beware of becoming the Pharisee that gets up and prays, oh God, I thank you I'm not like them that have risen and fallen. Please, 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 Lord, help us. But when I think of Uzziah, I, I've seen this happen so many times where someone, they, they see rookies, they know, they're like, oh my gosh, tell me, just tell me. Rookies are like, tell me, tell me, tell me, help me, help me, tell me, tell me, I need help, I need help, I need help. Rook, I remember when I would come, the reason I fell in love with that woman here in the front row is that I would come to church every single week. The preacher would get up and preach, and he'd get to the end, and he's like, the message could have been, you fill in the blank. The message could have been on prostitution. And he's like, there could be a prostitute's heart on you, and if so, you need to repent today. Ruthie would be at the altar repenting. When I started dating her, I'm like, could you stop going up to the embarrassing altar calls? And she'd look at me, she'd be like, Michael Patz, I could care less what people think of me. I want Jesus. And I'm like, I do too. But you can pray from your chair. Like, you don't have to go up in the front and make a spectacle of this. It'd be like, are you a liar? Are you greedy? Are you lustful? Are you bound up on pornography? I'm like, she'd never looked at pornography in her life. And she's at, like, the, the porn altar call. Like, I'm like, everyone's so, uh, Pat, you're dating a pervert. I'm like, I mean, I was a pervert, not at the altar. My pure girlfriend was up at the altar. I'm like... And she would say to me, she's like, Michael, when I bow to Jesus, something happens. Because it's a law, man. Whoever humbles themselves, God's going to lift them up. And whoever lifts themselves up, God's going to push them back. Guys, I, this, this isn't like, oh my gosh, that's so mean. It, it's actually a law. Like, I'm, I'm not a prophet right now. I'm just making a prediction. I'm going to let go of these keys, and they're going to fall, and they're going to hit the ground no one needs to be amazed by me. No one's like, oh my gosh, what a mind. That's called the law of gravity. What's amazing is that we have not yet come to believe in God's law of gravity, that whoever exalts themselves is going to be brought down. See, the nature of, the nature of pride, it's, it's deception. The end of pride, though, is is destruction. This is where it goes. It, it goes down. In verse 16, when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. And again, I want to just be clear on this, friends. I need us to give, uh, cut Uzziah some slack here for a minute. This brother did invent things. They say that he himself, like historians will tell us, he invented stuff. Like, he came up with stuff. That he would, he, this, this guy, I mean, prolific is an understatement. When it says he went to battle, back in the days, these aren't commanders in chief. Like, it's not like a president of the U.S. that says, hey, soldiers, go do something in my name. And we, and we give the, cre the president credit for like making a decision. These kings made decisions and went to battle too. So he made, he made gains that he sweat and bled for. He made movements. He did things that he, he stayed up late doing it. He's the one that did it. He's the guy that was making the sacrifices, which you can understand, which is like, yes, 
I deserve what I've got because I have worked for this. And he becomes strong, but something goes off in his mind, and it says he was marvelously helped. See, what he did not realize was that when he was using that brilliant mind that he had, that when he came up with all those innovations that he came up with, that when he made all the, the strategic decisions in military battle, that when he came, when he figured things out with the soil, that when he did all what he didn't realize, that when he did it, it wasn't just him. He was marvelously helped. It reminds me of the CEO that had advanced very high and was starting to think a lot of himself and was driving across like a New Mexico, Arizona desert and they kind of need to stop for gas somewhere and he stops at a filling station to get some gas and he's got his wife on his arm and, and when they go in, much to their surprise, someone that, they, someone that she had not seen in many years, his wife saw her former boyfriend working at the gas station. When they got back in the car, the husband kind of turned to her and smirked. And she said, what is it? And then he looked over at the gas station, looked back at her, kind of smirked again. And she's like, what is it, honey? He said, well, I mean, I'm sure you've already been thinking, you know, like, aren't you glad you married me? Because if you hadn't have married me, like, you would have been married to him. She said, actually, that's not what I was thinking. What I was thinking was, aren't you glad you married me? Because if you hadn't married me, you would be working in a gas station. He'd be a CEO. (laughs) You've been, Guyana, you've been marvelously helped. Friends, you've been marvelous. You've been helped more than you know. I know, we, I know we want to claim to be the author of every tweet. I know we want to claim to be the, the originator of every talent. I know we want to claim to be the, the good steward of all of the manifold things that have been entrusted to us. Could anyone besides me say, I've been very unfaithful. I've been very sinful. I have blown it. I stand by the grace of Jesus alone. That's it. Verse 16, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now let's just stop there because the Bible was clear. The only people that got to do that were priests. Now what Uzziah did not seem to remember or did not choose to remember was that as a king, he could go take a wife, he could go work in the soil, he could go out to battle, he could do all sorts of things, he could throw a feast, he could do all almost anything he wanted. But kings needed to know that God had made a clear clear position, which is you cannot do whatever you want. There are limits to your kingdom, Uzziah. You're the most powerful man perhaps in the world, but there are still limits. And, I, and guys, I, I know this is hard because I've grown up in a culture that has said to me and to you, you can do whatever you want to do. And it's just not true. And he said, I I can burn incense. Verse 17, but Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense. By the way, we need to start speaking truth to one another in such candid ways. It is not for you. They're not being ambiguous. They're like, ah, I sense a tremor in the force. They said, it is not for you, Uzziah. 
to burn incense to the Lord. But for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense, go out from the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring no honor from the Lord. Now, what Uzziah doesn't know is that this is his chance. This is his escape route. This is his freedom. This is his vaccine. This is his liberation. This is his healing. This is his way. This is his truth. This is life for him right now. What he doesn't realize is that this Azariah the priest is God's chosen help. And if right now, if he'll just say, it's true. The story would end so well. If right now he would just say, I forgot. If right now he would just be like, oh, this is hard for me, but there's 80 of you. I know you're telling me. By, by the way, like sometimes one person, but when 80 people have said something, like, listen. I'm concerned for some of you. That God's been sending you Azariah priests. And you've said back to them, if God wanted to tell me, he can come tell me himself. Well, I haven't heard that from God. Or I can do all things through Christ. And like even the way we can take verses to kind of manipulate them. I had some, you know, someone was telling me that about like taking a, a second wife. You know, like I'm, I'm going to take on another wife. I can do all things through Christ, including, to, I'm like, you might be misusing the word of God. It is not for you, Uzziah. In verse 19, it says, Then Uzziah was angry, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And I hate this, and I hate this. I do not like this. I don't like this at all. Josephus, the historian, tells us that according to the, the rabbis, that when Uzziah got angry with, the, with these priests, there was an earthquake, that there was a, a sound from heaven, and then there was an earthquake. And some of the scholars say that in some of the other prophets that talks about a great earthquake that everybody heard about in the days of Uzziah, that this was that earthquake that happened, that when Uzziah, and so you could say, well, his problem was anger. Friends, the mother of the mother of the mother of all the sins, the root of the root of the root of all, there is no anger unless there was first pride. You don't get offended unless you were first prideful. He was angry, and, and, and he reaches out the censer, and, and there's actually traditions that say, in fact, Josephus says that they claimed that the temple itself opened up and that light shone on his face so everybody could see it, and that when they did, leprosy broke out on his face. And leprosy is a horrible disease. And what we find, of course, here, as you, as you can imagine, it says that in verse 20 that uh, Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests, they looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly. He himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper till the day of his death. And being a leper, he lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. Oh, man, please don't miss what God is letting us know. See, the nature of pride, it's deception. The end of pride is destruction. How is it destruction? Because pride separates you from God and people. The temple was the place that you went to connect with God, and the temple was the place that you went with God's people. And yet with leprosy, he is now forbidden to go back into the house of God, and he's forbidden to come back with God's people. In fact, everyone has to stay yards and yards away from him because the end of leprosy is destruction. 
And my prayer for us as a church, I'm, I'm, I'm in Guyana and Gainesville and wherever you're watching us right now, that when I turn on the, the TV, it's almost as if humility has been barred from cable television. I cannot find a humble newscaster. When I find a humble newscaster, it's like a sign and a wonder. Even the movements, like we're surrounded by movement. Like the movements that are right, there's movements happening all over the world right now. All these movements, they're built, watch, they're built on make, man, we just got to go make our points. And man, oh friends, there are points to be made to be sure. But beware of wanting so bad to make the point that you miss the king. When you need to make your point, that's when, that, 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 that's when you can't see. See, what Uzziah needed to do, what, what he, he needed to feel in that moment was that it, it's like this week I was thinking about James and Peter. I was thinking about them because there's this one verse in the book of James, and it's also repeated in Peter. What's odd is it's not like a quote from the Old Testament. It's an isolated verse. It goes like this. God opposes. Everyone say opposes. God opposes the proud. The prideful, God opposes but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. Sometimes I hear people say, I'll hear this say, hey man, God is for you. Maybe. Maybe. Because if you're full of pride, scripture is clear that God opposes. <laughs> I've been opposed by God so many times. My prayer is, Jesus, help me <laughs> when you're opposing me. When Azariah shows up with 80 priests and says, that's not for you. God, help my heart to stay soft enough to say you're right. My, my prayer for Greenhouse is that in a religious landscape where even, like there, there are literally, there's preachers that I've had to stop listening to because I'm like, man, they're right. That everything they say is true, but they stir up like sarcasm in me. They, they stir up looking down on people. They, I'm not, I, mean, I won't say any of their names because I don't want to push. I mean, I, I'm hoping that they're in great spots. I'm like, it's weird that even our very Christianity can turn into some kind of evangelical, fundamentalistic, mean-spirited, we're right, you're wrong, we know stuff, you don't. And, and the world looks at us, and, when, and sometimes Christians are like, why, don't, why doesn't people in the world want to come to church? And the answer is because our breath is so bad. Pride is like bad breath, and if you've ever kissed somebody with really good breath, humility is like that. It's like, oh, man. It's, it's one of the big things when people get married. I do a lot of weddings, and when they do weddings, it's like, hey, for the kiss, let, let's, let's have the breath be ready. for the. You want the kiss to be like killer, you know, in the best kind of way. Like, maybe that's the wrong word. You want it to be great, you know. The antidote for pride is humility. What's interesting about James and Peter to me is that here, here's the, here was the interesting thought this week was James and Peter are the two central leaders of the early church. In the book of Acts, we find that James is like the senior pastor of Jerusalem church. When you get to Acts 15, James is the guy that's making the statements about, oh, this is how it's going to be. We, we have perceived the will of God and it's going to be like this. And, and James is the spokesman and he's the leader of the Jerusalem church, which was like the hub for the whole movement. Kind of like in, for Greenhouse, Gainesville, we've got a hub here. We've got these other things down at Guyana. 
Louisiana and South Florida, these other places. That's what Jerusalem was like, and, and James was like the leader there. And, but then you also had Peter, which was like the chief apostle, the main guy, the rock, you know, all this kind of stuff. What's interesting to me is that these are both brothers that in different cases got rebuked by the same person. James, you might not catch this, but James was on the receiving end of the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul would be an upstart, young apostle coming along. And when Judaizers came, there's a group called the Judaizers who were trying to get people to not just be saved by grace, but also have to jump through hoops of the law. The Judaizers were sent out. And when the Judaizers were sent out, Paul's like, forget that. That is baloney. That is garbage. That's anti-Jesus. That is wrong. And And he goes and he rebukes the Judaizing moment in church history. Well, the author of the Judaizing moment was James. James is the guy that sent out the Judaizers, and James gets rebuked by Paul. And apparently he repented because we know that when we read the James giving his, his, uh, his opinion, his ruling opinion on, okay, this is all we're going to require of the Gentiles, he morphed and changed his positions based on an Azariah the priest named Apostle Paul who comes and says, James, you missed it. And I may be younger than you, and I may be less qualified than you. And by the way, James was Jesus' half-brother, and some people have even argued that James might have looked like Jesus in some ways, which is why he got the, the role of being able to even be in that position or whatever it was. You know, so the, you, if, let's say well, I, I may, he may have all these other things. Paul could just come and say, I may have a lot of things that you don't, I mean, there's a lot of things that you've got that I don't have, but I'm telling you something right now, it is not good for you to do this Judaizing thing, stop. Another case, in the book of Galatians, the Bible says Peter was in a moment of hypocrisy, and when Peter, who was an apostle, had a moment of hypocrisy, James, it says, I rebuked him, I opposed him, I withstood him to his face. By the way, stop acting like you're some prophet when people say like, man, I just spoke truth on social media. Stop speaking so much truth on social media. Start speaking truth to the people you need to speak truth to. That's, that's what Paul did. And that's how Peter repented. And he did repent. So Peter and James, two separate guys, have the same quote. And their quote was, God, put it up there, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, two different guys it's not a quote from the old, it's two different people giving the exact same truth. Why would they both get that? My conjecture is because both of them had learned firsthand, Uzziah, you're in trouble, leprosy's coming, and when God sends you a Paul or God sends you an Azariah, and here's the application today for some of you. This week, God is going to send somebody into your life that's going to speak some hard truth, perhaps, and when he does, do not lift up your censor in anger. The next time you get corrected, I beg you, don't. Don't push back. Mike, what if they're wrong? Then chew on it. I'm not saying they'll be right. Chew on it. The the, the next time that, that when God sends an Azariah, when God sends an Azariah that goes to you and says, Uzziah, don't do this. This is not for you. Now, notice he used the Bible. This wasn't just like, hey, I'm feeling something. He's using the Bible. He's doing it biblically. He's going to him. He's, he's doing all. When God sends you, this week, God's going to send some of you an Azariah, and when he does, or this month, and when he does, I plead with you to listen, to listen, and to humble yourself, because those who humble themselves are going to be exalted, but those who exalt themselves are going to be humbled. Likewise, this week, some of you are going to be approached by a Zechariah. Zechariah was the priest that in the days of Zechariah, Uzziah sought the Lord. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. 
You need people in your life that are like Zechariah that help you, or it says with him, instructed him in the fear of the Lord. You need people in your life like Zechariah that, that show you how to seek the Lord. I sometimes meet people and they'll say, Mike, I've got a lot of friends. That's great that you've got a lot of friends. My question is, do you have friends that cause you to fear the Lord? Do you have friends that cause you to seek? The, see, I've got some people, and I get around them, I'm like, man, I'm going to go read my Bible before I go to bed. You need some friends like that. I've got some friends that when I get around them, I'm like, man, I want to give more of my possessions away to help the poor. I get around some people, and I'm like, man, I want, I want to share the gospel with people that don't yet know Jesus, even if they laugh at me, even if they mock me, even if they, I want to, like some people, they stir me to seek the Lord and to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To have, there's something about getting around a friend that's like, yeah, man, I've just been really trying to give myself to prayer. You need friends that make you want to pray more. You need friends that make you want to lust less. You need friends that make you want to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and know that he will lift you up. Mike, why are you saying this? Because let's say you've never gotten into a microchurch. Just so we're clear, the vision of our church is not to get as many people as we can to come sit on chairs and to hear a TED Talk after a concert about Jesus Christ. The vision of our church is to help ordinary people, low potential, high potential, mid-potential people, become wild, passionate, radical followers of Jesus Christ in a world that needs his humble, beautiful, glorious way displayed. That's what we want. I want some of you to go out into your work this week or you go to school tomorrow morning and join me at the bell tower at 8 o'clock. I want you to, to go out and to seek the Lord because as long as you seek the Lord, God's going to make you prosper. Like some of the businessmen in our church that would just say, we're going to start praying about business deals that go down. And they're going to track. We've literally had people like, we're going to track and see how does it go when some departments seek the Lord and some don't. I want to show my boss who does not believe in God that there is a God who really is God and that when we do that, that they would even demonstrate and show the kingdom coming on the earth as it is in heaven. And I'll tell you how it works. Anything you include God in is going to thrive. But I tend to seek the Lord when I've got Zacharias in my life, and Uzziah tended to not seek the Lord when he didn't. Who are the Zacharias in your life? Maybe you've never been in a microchurch, and maybe out there in the lobby, someone's going to be like, hey, bro, come to my microchurch. Like, well, I'm so busy. God just sent you a Zachariah. Say yes. Humble yourself and say yes. Yeah, but I'm in 17 fantasy football leagues, fantasy basketball leagues, fantasy baseball leagues. I don't have time for Give up two of your fantasy leagues and let a Zachariah have access. Let me, let me just kind of bring some of these things together. Humility is it's odd because I was reading this morning in Isaiah 66. It says, it's not on the screen, but it says, God said, on this one will I look. This is the one that I'm attracted to. This is the one who gets my attention. This is the one that I'm drawn to. This is what God said. On this one will I look. On him who is humble and has a contrite heart and who trembles at my word. God is attracted to humility. And so are people. So are people. That's why, like, if, if, you, if you love our church, don't you ever go out and tell someone that goes to some other church, man, you need to come to our church. Our church is great. Trust me. There are churches in this town so much better than this church, if there's a better. There's preachers so much better than me. There are leaders so much better, people so much godlier than me or us. The, the, the only great one around here is named Jesus. That's the only great one. 
That, that, that's the only great one. So, so like, don't ever, like, we, we don't accomplish our mission with, with hell's tactics. We're, we're wrong. Hey, us Christians, we're, we're wrong. We've been wrong about so many things that something happens, and people are attracted when they know. In, in the early 1990s, there was a physicist named Andrew Lynn that had made a discovery, and um, astronomy and physics, astrophysics, and had made this discovery and had made, published it. it was, he was a really, really big deal, had kind of become a sensation. He was going to speak at this, this big gathering of people, and he gets up on a stage like this one, and uh, as he, that's where he was going to come up and speak and make his presentation, and everyone was in awe of this guy. And you can look this up, but he, as he was getting ready for it, he was just double-checking all of his stuff, and he found and discovered an error that no one else had discovered in his work, had something to do with, like, the, the orbit of the earth around the sun. It's elliptical, not, you know, just a perfect circle or whatever. And he, and he realized all of his research was wrong. And so he gets up where he's the man, and he's supposed to get up and say, all right, is everyone ready to be in awe of all of my information? And he gets up, and he basically confesses, I got it wrong. And when he did, the whole audience stood to their feet and began to cheer because they had never seen somebody get up and say, we were wrong. It's not just God that's attracted to humility. It's all of us. Listen, don't get me wrong. You can get rich with your book to your tribe. You can reach your tribe with your pride, but you can only serve the world with your humility. It's a very, very big distinction. And Christians... I have and we have gotten very wrong with the way that women have been treated in the church. The, the church has gotten very wrong with the way that race has been addressed and the racism and the bias and prejudice that has been allowed to, to perpetuate for generations. We've been wrong. We've been wrong. There's no excuse to say, well, don't, don't judge people. But it's just, it was just, there was just wickedness. We've been wrong about the judgment that's, that's been exuded. And we just flat out need to humble ourselves and say, Jesus, we are wrong. You are right. Someone asked me recently, do you think you, you Christians, do you think all you Christians are right and everyone else is wrong? My answer, we're all wrong. The only one that's right is Jesus. And we're going to go look to him. And I want you to seek him. And I want you to look to him. And I do believe in orthodoxy, but I believe it needs to be a humble orthodoxy. That if you're going to hold on to things that are true and right and just, you've got to do it with a humility that only God can give. I'll end it like this. A man named William James was, I believe, a professor at Harvard. And he had become very ill. Pretty, very successful guy. Become very ill. And could not find help anywhere. And so he was sort of traveling the world, went to Europe, tried to find help, tried to get relief, could not find it. Went to Paris, couldn't find it. Went to England, couldn't find it. Goes to Belgium, goes to all these places, doesn't find it. Comes back to the States. And he's just crippled with this with pain, can't, can't rest, can't sleep. And he wants help, but he can't find it anywhere. And someone that he meets as a Christian says, why don't you go to this, this man of God over here? He prays for sick people and they get healed. Well, to this Harvard professor, this great giant of a mind, of a mind and an intellect, uh, the idea of faith healing is anathema. It's like a, it's, it offends all of his sensibilities. And when he looks up the guy, the guy turns out to be some uneducated, unlearned, kind of hillbilly, kind of whatever dude. And he's like, go get, ask some uneducated man to put his hand on me and pray for me. I don't think so. Gets suicidal thoughts, almost wants to end it all. Finally, in desperation, he goes to this man, to where this unlearned 
uneducated, unlettered man of God just takes his humble hand, puts it on this brilliant head, and he prays in the name of Jesus. And this professor goes on to say later that when he put his hand on me, I could feel this, this clean heat come, and, and I was made well in that moment. And by the way, pride is, it's like that. It's, it's like leprosy. You can't try your way out of it. Someone has to heal you out of it. Someone has to place their hand on you and heal you. And his name is Jesus. See, the irony is that pride is where we keep trying to get bigger and bigger. And and Uzziah was a king, but he wanted to be more than a king. That's pride. The irony is that when you try to become more than what God made you to be, you always become less. But here's the wild thing. There is one that is more. There is one. There is one being in the universe that that is greater than you can imagine, and there is nothing he cannot do, and he can hold the universe together with the sound of his, of his mouth, and there is one that is so glorious that he's spun the galaxies, and he's made the supernovas, and he's created the, the rainforest, and the colors, and the smells, and the tastes. There is nothing that was made that was not made by him. There is one that the universe itself cannot contain, and yet the one that the universe cannot contain was shrunk down to be so containable that he was in a cradle in a manger. And he would go on to say that I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. A ransom is what is paid to buy slaves back. And my friend, you and me are slaves to pride and slaves to sin. And I can't get myself out of this. I can't educate myself out of this. I can't think my way out of this. I need the king of glory to put his hand on my heart, to reach out into my soul. I, need to, I, am, I am Uzziah. You are Uzziah. All of us are Uzziah. And leprosy is waiting at the door. And God sometimes sends people into our path to say, Uzziah, it's not for you. Turn, run, get out of here. And when you hear that, I'm telling some of you that message, run, turn, get out of here, repent. Leave your sin. Stop calling your shots. Don't try to be your own Lord. Don't try to be your own Savior. Don't try to exalt yourself. Humble yourself, I beg you. Because if you will, he's gonna lift you up. And that's why Jesus humbled himself and became a human. Then he became so humanly, he went up to a cross where life himself swallowed up death and he died. But on the third day, he rose from the dead because it's a law. Whoever humbles himself is going to get exalted. And there's some of you that need to humble yourself today, and I pray that you'll do it.